السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس بی اپون آل آف دا لسنرز آف بس اسلام ویلکم بیک ونس اگین ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو ٹوڈے ان دا اسٹوڈیو مائی سوف انیک اینڈ کو پرزینٹر ڈاکٹر طارق باجوا از یو ویلکم ہیم ان دا اسٹوڈیو از ویل ہاؤ ار یو ڈاکٹر صاحب آئی ایم ویری ویل تھینک یو پیس بی آن یو اینڈ آل آر لسنرز Yeah, welcome uh, to our show today. It's uh, obviously directly concerned with me, me working in <laughs> NHS. Uh, our first program is regarding the NHS strike, which is going on, or uh, which is being, yes, the ballots have been taken uh, place. So we'll be speaking about that. Uh, mm. Obviously, next hour, we'll be speaking on a, a related topic to NHS, but uh, not directly. It's the, about the vaccination and how it uh, does it impact you. and uh, what are your concerns and worries about that and how to what extent are they correct we'll be speaking to a few of our um, expert guests uh, on that topic as well um so the first is uh, about the nhs pressure uh, and uh, a discussion about should staff strike you know um, as it's in the talks nowadays and uh, the nhs staff they have been uh, been on strike they are doing balloting as dr bajwa mentioned you know the, for the first time in its um, 106 years of history the royal college of nursing rcn is balloting 300000 of its member about strike action and recommending that they vote in favor and the ballot is in the protest at the government's decision in july to award more nhs staff at 5% pay rise which will lead to frontline personnel receiving a salary increase of at least 1400 pounds and you know the staff has raised concern and uh, is demanding a rise of 5% above inflation which is currently 10.1% or it would be difficult to make ends meet so the current pay rise has left the staff feeling demoralized hope- hopeless and uh, with no option but to quit the industry in search of better pace when <clears throat> we look in islam allah the almighty states in the holy quran that allah enjoins justice and the doing of good to others and give and giving like kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression he admonished you that you may take heed we understand the circumstances in the society nowadays how the inflation has gone up they are the people who are you know serving humanity day and night on different places and they make sure the level best to give you know the best service th- they can provide to people who are in need and on the other hand we see that people who have uh, you know educated they, they studied for many years of their lives to become a doctor to become a specialist they are working in uh, a hospital for the humanity but on the other hand they had to come out on the streets to do strike for them because they cannot you know cope with the situation going on in the in in uh, in, in the country so <clears throat> we will be discussing it further and the pay rise as i mentioned the reduction why they are doing it they want to increase they want a pay rise and that's why they are you know thinking that they should do strike yeah when we we just had a uh, had a poll regarding you know would you support an nhs worker strike and 
Uh, as expected, I, I think that there um, 28% are completely sure about that. And, uh, um, some say uh, for a while, 17%, then 39% are not sure. And 17% do not agree with that. And they, they say, they, uh, let, let's see if, if our program changes your opinion <laughs> regarding that. And uh, you can reach um, a conclusion, more um, sort of decisive about o- o- whether or what side you t- you, you're taking. Um, naturally, in NHS, uh, there's a lot of pressure. And everybody who is living in the UK, they are aware not only those who are working with NHS, but also mm. those who get those services, they are mm. aware that uh, the services are under great pressure. And uh, although working in healthcare is, is a tremendously uh, rewarding job mm. and uh, helping people, of course, uh, to he- you see them, they heal, they, you provide comfort during their pain, mm. and even bringing them back from near-death situations, uh, it can give a lot of sense of accomplishment um, uh, but you know uh, let's see what's uh, you know the, the, the circumstances you're working obviously mm. it has an impact on you as well and uh, particularly in Islam uh, 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 it says very clearly that saving a life is deemed equivalent to saving all of mankind as mentioned in the Holy Quran uh, which says in chapter 5 verse 33 and whoso saved a life it shall be as if he had saved the life of all mankind so anybody you know particularly you know islam teaches about the humanity the humanity comes first but if you are serving them in the capacity when they are not well and they are um, in need uh, then obviously it, it, it takes you to a higher degree and it gives you a degree of satisfaction and uh, uh, you feel happy about it However, it, it must be remembered that medical health professionals, they work under a lot of pressure. The requirement to stay alert on, on your feet, um, respond to emergencies, prioritize patient care 24-7, while practicing patience and tenderness is taxing, of course. Uh, it's only fair to treat medical professionals well and provide them with wages in accordance with the work they do. After all, they are at the core of a healthy society. So if we expect from them Hmm. that they would deliver the best because they are taking care of your lives, of your health, uh, and bringing you happiness, uh, working hard, uh, and all the time, it's a lot of pressure because you know the the decisions they make all the time if they are not even if they have not taken proper rest uh, and they can they can make a decision which is uh, which can be critical uh, and, and therefore they are they're working under a lot of pressure so <clears throat> we we have seen that happening recently you know will the with the pandemic that the health professionals, they work so hard. Now they work long hours dealing with an increased influx of patients all the uh, while risking their own lives. So many had to stay away 
from families just to protect because they were exposed to people and they uh, in order to protect their own families they had to stay away from their homes and um, so the, the, there was a lot of risk involved and, and we saw that many many of them they actually lost yes. their lives as they caught the virus while on duty um, so it's a, a tremendously great job they have done during this pandemic and uh, but what do what do they get? A reward, NHS just mm. clapping somewhere for a few minutes, <laughs> or uh, a notice just board somewhere. That's may it. It is good, but it's not enough because they want to survive. And if they are under pressure, they are under pressure. Whether you know they can afford meals for their children, mm. their family, whether they can afford the um, the mortgage, the house they are living in, the 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 bills which have recently gone up. You know, how are they going to face it? And of course, you know, inflation. And on, on top of that, if you are given, you know, after expecting so much, either you're, you're just given a chance that you will get a 5% pay rise, uh, whereas the inflation is already more than 10%. So uh, it's not enough because it's difficult to survive in, the, in, in such kind of situations. And according to NHS staff survey, nearly 44% of NHS staff in England reported feeling unwell from work-related stress. No wonder. The highest rate recorded in the past five years. In, in addition, around a third of staff said that they were considering quitting their job, and a fifth indicated that they may leave the health service completely. And those who work in NHS, they know that lots of people uh, UK have already lost because they, they migrate away where they find better circumstances. Sure. And of course, those who stay... Um, just to fill the jobs, uh, and and there is uh, you know one major problem is the the, the waiting lists. Mm. You, you know there is a, a huge waiting yeah. list, and uh, the reason why there is a long waiting list is because of the shortage of staff, because staff is not available. So if you are putting two <coughs> people where ten people are required, you know they they tell you that they are working up to their neck so they uh, they can't do any more so you can't blame them they are they are they are uh, not responsive but they can't do more because uh, you know uh, there's not enough stuff so obviously this leads to uh, problems true you know uh, personally i know many people they are they've been diagnosed through a cancer and especially when you're discussing cancer you need a treatment as soon as possible but when they go to the hospitals they know there are there are no you know appointments left and they have to come back after three months and i've seen people around me due because they didn't get proper treatment that's why you know they they, they passed away and i know people they are just moving to other countries to you know uh, get uh, the proper treatment for 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 the you know, for, for uh, the cancer they are going through. So it is indeed, you know, it isn't very necessary that we should have enough staff. People are leaving from here. It's, it was in the news uh, a few days back, 40,000 staff, or NHS staff left this country and they are doing job in other countries. I know one of my, you know, colleague, he, I was in Sheffield and uh, he is GP and he was doing very well. He was a young guy, but he, you know, realized that and there's no future in, in here. That's why he moved to Australia yeah, so many there are, are things that, are there, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And if we <clears throat> discuss further about the strike, uh, why what's happening? If we have, uh, you know, in depth, if we just uh, once again 
you know, uh, go through the reasons they are doing a strike. You know, the RCN decided to do ballot the government, uh, you know, because of the pay rise. And the starting salary nurses around £27,000 and for support staff also represented by the RCN, such as healthcare assistant. It is £20,000 per annum. The RCN, you know, estimated last year that uh, the average nurse uh, nurse salary was 35000 including extra shifts and on-call payments. However, after tax and other statutory deductions, the take-home pay is not enough. And uh, for instance, it has been reported that where nurses are skipping meals at work and feed and, you know, the clothe their children, there have also been reports of staff taking sick leaves because they are unable to afford the travel cost from their shifts. And we find one of four hospitals has set up food banks for nurses as the cost of living has soared while two in three hospitals bosses have reported a significant impact from uh, from staff quitting the service uh, for better pays in, pay in pubs, restaurants and shops as reported by NHS providers. So people are, you know, uh, going through so many things and uh, we see that's why they are they had to come out on the streets and uh, you know uh, to take uh, uh, take part in the strike now we will move to our first guest and uh, we will discuss further about this topic uh, with us uh, we have uh, sultan bhatti sahib is sultana bhatti sahib he's uh, she's occupational therapist uh, sultana sahib are you with me assalamu alaikum peace be upon you welcome to the welcome. show Waalaikumsalam, thank you. Yes, I'm with you. Thank you for having me. Dhaakumullah. Uh, tell us about the nature of your work. What is it that uh, you do? Um, so, yes, yeah, so, uh, I'm an occupational therapist and uh, mm-hmm. I've been working with uh, in the NHS for nearly 10 years. Um, so I've worked in hospitals, uh, in A&E, social services. I've also done a bit of that and acute community services. And currently I'm... Uh, working in the community for uh, with people with neurological and long-term conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, social care is a big part of the healthcare system. What is the work environment like for social carers? Um, so the the environment is is I would say it's very much like it it is in the acute um, health system. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I think there's a knock-on effect. And what happens in the community is that actually people are picking up the pieces of, you know, a, a, a broken system. And people say that it's, mm. it's on its knees. It's practically, it's like it's lying down, you know, the system now. It, it's, um, you, you know, you, you go and see people, you go and see patients, and they tell you about how difficult it, it is uh, mm-hmm. for them. For example, you know, we know about GP appointments, how difficult it is to get them. Um, so they, you you do hear about you know the waiting lists and, and stuff from from patients, um, and I think that uh, things like care uh, care workers, um, we rely on people who look who look after people, mm-hmm. uh, 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 carers who go in to support people get washed and dressed mm-hmm. if they've come out if they come out of hospital you know give them meals and that um, they we know they don't get paid enough. We know they don't have enough money. They only have 20 minutes, you know, that, that, that they have time to actually see, tend to someone. So um, that, the, you know, the, the, the carers, the packages of care 
um, you know, we we kind of depend on health service depends on those people. They're not getting paid enough for sure. Mm. Um, so yeah, there there is there is a definite you know deficit uh, in in uh, oh. how people are valued in in social care. It is true. You know, uh, what do you think? You know, as you mentioned already, that they are not paid properly. You know, can you relate the work they do, and uh, what do you think uh, should be done uh, for for them? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think because it's been so so long, because it's been ten years, more than ten mm-hmm. years now, twelve years of austerity. Um, you know, it's it's not not enough to give the the, the little bit of, of raises that they give, which is effectively a pay cut in mm. you know real, real terms. So you know, staff who are helping people who are vulnerable, as you said at the top of the show, you know, people who who need help, um, people who are helping those people shouldn't should not be exploited in this way. It's kind of like we're being exploited. Mm. Uh, you know, the good goodwill only you know extends only. To uh, uh, you know this this much you can't you can't you can't keep milking that. Um, I, I think it's really unfair because True. people, especially especially because we've just been through the pandemic, which was relentless. You know, it was day in day out, day in day out. We didn't know what we you know what was in store for us. So there's been no relief from that, and instead it's kind of like almost the pressure is ramped up even more. And I think people are so demoralised. Um, you know, workers, the staff are so demoralised, and when you get people who are demoralised, obviously you're going to get more sickness, and uh, so the the that affects this, the system even more, and the system is stretched even more, and then you get your manager saying, but you can't do overtime, you can't do so. So again, there's a lot of pressure. Pressure is just piled on to you know people, and people can only take so much. So um, yeah, the system is 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 broken, unfortunately. So we we need to value the workforce. We need to value the people who hold the national health service up. We need to value them because you know we are only human beings. So so that that you know we need more. We need we we need a living wage, basically. You're true. Uh, yes, we all can understand that. You know, uh, you know, uh, Sultana. Uh, people are leaving healthcare work for better paying jobs as you know uh, you know if they continue quitting what would that you know entail for the healthcare system then oh that's just a total total meltdown total mm. that that will be it then then what they will do of course we know the government have an agenda to privatize mm. so that that will give them the the uh, you know the reason to to privatize them. And that's going to make it even worse for the ordinary man in the street, man or woman in the street, for, for the public. Um, you know that that would be absolutely awful. I know that you know my son, he's a he's a medical student, and I mm-hmm. I do fear for I, I fear for him. You know, like because you hear doctors are you know earning less than perhaps shop you know shop uh, shop assistants. Um, you know, junior doctors. You know, you, you know they yeah. they've, they've got really low wages as well, um, but. I mean, I don't blame people who do that because what what else can they do? What else can they do? If they mm. if they do leave leave the NHS, but then you see the thing is that the you know we've trained in the NHS. Um, they've invested in us. This country has invested in its in its workforce, and now it's it's so short sighted that it's let you know allowing the workforce to 
to go, basically, and not giving any incentive to stay. So, yeah, it's in the uh, government's hands. That's true, that's true. Indeed, uh, you know, we hope for best. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Okay, you're welcome. Have a nice evening. Peace be upon you. Assalamualaikum Indeed, you know, uh, people are <clears throat> facing uh, very difficult circumstances. And if, as Sultanas have mentioned, uh, what is the future of the doctors? What is the future of the staff uh, who are willing to, uh, you know, help the community, the, the, the mankind? But if they know that they can't even survive themselves, then how would they be, they would be coming to this field and, uh, you know, uh, how the system will uh, run? So what, what do you say, Doctor, about this? Well, you see, the, we, we have to strike the balance right. Mm. Okay, we, we want the best service, yeah. even the basic service, mm. because um, NHS is about the uh, provision of the basic essentials that mm. you are saving lives, you are uh, protecting people from suffering, mm. And uh, and it is an essential service. And obviously, uh, worldwide, if we compare these services, uh, or, you know, the provided by the government, this is w- one of the the best services. At <coughs> least it used to be one of the best services. Mm. But it is still an essential. And and you know that United States, we have had uh, lots of problems because people, there are lots of people who do not have this facility. And if you go. If you end up by chance uh, to and uh, A and E, which is called ER, there, yeah. uh, you know, you you face uh, a bill which, uh, <coughs> unless you have some kind of insurance, you won't be able to to cover that. Whereas NHS, if you have, if you are in emergency, you are treated, um, and nobody asks you, you know what color, what grade, where do you come from. Oh. All these questions are after the emergency is over. Oh. So so that is that is something which is the you know we. We have the luxury that, uh, uh, you know, uh, and this luxury people do realize when they they go out and they, they, they face the bills, then they, oh. they realize and they, uh, uh, and uh, I, I have had personal experience that um, uh, at the occasion of our annual conference, we have, uh, we have fr- a frustrated, uh, like a tent which is oh. we provide the basic first aid there because there are 30 40 thousand people who are coming there all qualified doctors and there were all very highly qualified consultants there people come and sometimes you are surprised at the way people have been treated and oh. and they come from you know they come from various other countries um, and uh, you know Australia they, they come from very developed countries as well as of course uh, the underdeveloped countries, and when you look at or when you ask them the history, sometimes they, um, you are surprised that you know the the way they have been treated, the very basic things they have not been provided or that has not been investigated. Mm-hmm. So um, it is it is a, a blessing that uh, we we have got this service, and to run it, obviously it costs money, mm. and the current economic crisis, particularly you know it has an effect uh, generally on everyone. You can't pay the the energy bills. So in these circumstances, we have to we have to look into whether uh, w- what are the options we have. Unless we invest into this service, hmm. um, it is not viable. It's not going to continue. And but we do need that. We need to continue it. So it's a matter of prioritizing. Hmm. 
you know, your priorities. What are your priorities? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, um, you you go out and you you do help people who are in war, who are, you know, who are in in uh, in trouble. Uh, as a as a country, you go you you are there to help. But what about your basic needs or your mm-hmm. or your own people? Who are suffering and uh, you can't even provide the, the basic services and when you just heard about one of the, the our guests that she was saying that uh, you know in comparison if you compare the wages uh, of somebody who is a, mm. a laborer somebody who is a, a plumber who is, who is doing a you know routine job even the cleaner mm. you know now you have the um, comp- comparative wages uh, for the qualified people who, mm. who have spent their lives in um, attaining their uh, qualifications and experience, in, in regarding that, may, may it be the the nurses, may, may it be the social workers, may it be the um, doctors, um, uh, and if you compare, you will realize that um, it is difficult for them to survive. So sure. unless there is an investment and the balance is created, it's not going to be viable. So they have they have to think about it. So that's why they were thinking that we can privatize it and that we can you know uh, make it a business but then it has to be balanced out and obviously somebody needs to think about very carefully it is used more like a a, a political agenda all oh. the time uh, for you True. know everybody is talking about it but just, yeah. but then when it comes to you know how how are you going to make it viable how is it it has to be thought um, seriously about it oh. no uh, I've I've seen uh, people do compare UK with the American system, but on the other side, I've seen system in in Germany as well. You know, they have private uh, system over there. But one thing I've seen people who are earning well, they are paying to the you know privatized hospitals. But on the other side, people who are not well off, they don't have much money. You know, the the government the uh, they, they are providing them healthcare. And I think personally, when I see Germany, I think they, they have, you know, very good system. The people who have money, they are paying for themselves. People don't have, uh, they are not well off, they are not earning much. They are, you know, uh, treated. Uh, they are given the proper health care by the government, government. And indeed, I think uh, personally, when I see in UK as well, I think <laughs> it is my personal desire. If they do that like that, I think it would be much, uh, you know, different than now. And uh, you know the service they provide is very quick, uh, so that 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 is my you know personal opinion uh, on this. Anyways, you know when as we were discussing about this strike, <clears throat> you know uh, strike even when held peacefully can cause damage uh, to a system. There may be financial you know losses involved. However, it may also sometimes be ne- necessary in order to bring attention towards a cause when all other means of addressing the issue have failed. The, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, states, It is a commandment of Islam for a Muslim to follow the law of the land where he is residing. If the government is doing injustice, one option is to leave that place and migrate. Alternatively, if your voices can reach the authorities and the government representatives, then you should use it to speak out against any injustice and cruelty and to condemn it. To do so in your responsibility. To every government, to everyone who is unjust, we should strive to make them recognize that injustice can never flourish. So, strike, of course, sometime 
you know, do bring harm. But on the other side, if people think that their rights are not, not been given, they have all the right to speak up and speak against the injustice which they are facing uh, around them. So, so basically, you know, the, the, the current ballot which is taking place, mm-hmm. so the RCN, the Royal College of Nursing, is they decided to ballot after the government unilaterally gave NHS nurses a, a £1,400 pay rise. Now, um, is is a rise of 5% above um, is not is not even above inflation. It's just normal five percent rise to 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 avoid a flood of nurses leaving the profession. They need a, a minimum. You know, they, if the inflation is ten percent, it's fifteen percent. You know, yeah. uh, so so it becomes fifteen percent. Mm. So that's that's what they are requiring. The starting salary of uh, NHS nurses is around. No, it's a little bit variable, but it's uh, so around twenty-seven thousand fifty-five, and for support staff, also represented by the Royal College of Nursing, such as healthcare assistants, it is twenty thousand two hundred seventy per annum, and the RCN, the Royal College of Nursing, estimated last year that the average nurse's salary was thirty-five thousand three hundred and forty, including extra shifts and on-call payments. However, after tax and other statutory deductions. The take-home pay is obviously not enough. And there have been instances reported where nurses are skipping meals at work to feed and clothe their children. So there have also been reports of staff taking sick leave because they are unable to afford the travel costs for their shifts. So um, uh, one in four hospitals has set up food banks for nurses as the cost of living has soared, while two in three hospital bosses have reported a significant impact from staff quitting the service for better pay in pubs, restaurants, and shops, as reported by NHS providers. As, you are, as I mentioned earlier, even uh, you mm. know the the domestic cleaners at mm. home they work they 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 are charging 14 15 pounds an hour True. and if you compare with the with this NHS staff you know you will at least MP, you, yeah. be surprised that mm. you know how much is the difference so why would they continue to be working mm. so uh, you know working uh, with a, an experience with the gp surgery uh, mm. i know that the uh, the people working there uh, the um, the receptionists, the um, the nurses, it is very hard, for, very difficult for them to 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 continue working. But um, in general practice, because the general practice has to provide, the, he is the one who has to pay his staff. Huh. So if he's not getting enough, how is he going to afford to run yeah. these uh, these general practice surgeries? Whereas I know that they have been a feeling and they people had a very strong feeling that, oh, the GPs, they earn so much. And yeah. <laughs> But if you look at the, yeah. you know, all you need is to, to, to just Google and just look at the, the st- salaries of NHS yeah. staff, uh, the hospital staff, the general practice staff. And you will realize that if you compare uh, with a banker, with a you know normal worker even, mm. um, and and um, as we said earlier, uh, earlier the, the the builders are earning much more. So why people would not have a tendency not to go on studying for ages, for years on years, and uh, then provide a service where they are criticized all the time. Mm. They are under the uh, you 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 will be surprised that there are about ten agencies watching over. A doctor mm-hmm. working even in general practice you know in the hospital they do have a support from the other staff in general practice they are 
on their own most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas anybody can com- complain about them, and there are 10 agencies who are watching on, the, on that. And then, obviously, you, you don't want to make a wrong decision. True. But if you're working under that much stress, that much pressure, and then on top of that, there are administrative steps is because if you have a long waiting time, mm. there will a lot, lot many people would say, oh, I've, it has been two months, I haven't heard from the hospital, you refer to me. Mm. So uh, you have to satisfy them, you have to tell them that this is this. Uh, um, because you are in a capacity of uh, um, triaging them and you are responsible that you know somebody who is missed out, for example, um, a cancer is missed out. Mm. Okay, and what are the uh, uh, implications of that? How are you going to face that? How are you going to suffer that? Mm. So that's a, uh, there's a lot of stress. Uh, and in comparison, if you are, you know, obviously you can work much better if you, at least you are, you, you are able to pay then um, you are, you are getting, you know, adequate. You are not worried about you know how my children are going to eat, mm. how am I going to pay my bills, how am I going to you know the the, the main main expenses here are your mortgage and your sure. bills and your fees of your children, particularly if you know if you want them to be educated, uh, and if they are in, in universities as well. <clears throat> so uh, all these they they come together and 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 that causes stress on you. And if you're working, dealing with the patients, you want to work with a free mind. Yeah, so that true. can only work if there is there is input into uh, mm. you know some financial assistance and and people are um, uh, you know uh, help. If they 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 are not if the government is not going to take um, um, intention of helping them, it, it is not going to survive. True, true. Uh, you know, now we will move to our next guest. Uh, he is with us and is uh, Sayyid Hassan Ahmed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. He is working as a registrar in Edinburgh's hospital. Assalamu alaikum, Hassan Sahib, peace be upon salam. you. Thank you very much for joining uh, in the show today. Uh, Hassan, uh, you work in a hospital setting. Could you describe the role of nurses on a day-to-day basis? How much are doctors you know, reliant on them? Well, totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> we rely on them totally. So uh, different matters of administration to like uh, managing patients on at different levels, different stages. Uh, heavily reliant, can't work without nurses. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, they have long working hours and mm-hmm. uh, like we do have long long working hours as well but uh, uh, they have to uh, do such jobs to the patients which we doctors don't do and they're mostly manual of manual nature and are very important and especially when it comes to uh, elderly patients uh, patients who've got multiple comorbidities mm-hmm. um, and also there are different different classes of nurses you've got the specialist nurses who work like doctors but are not doc- not doctors, uh, and uh, they take a lot of significant responsibility for patients. So, uh, and I just can't work without nurses. <laughs> True, uh, you know. But despite having a well-established healthcare system, nurses and other healthcare workers are overworked and you know understaffed. Why do you think that is? Well, <clears throat> there could be multiple reasons behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, the first of them could be 
just the lack of understanding, uh, general understanding and appreciation by the society. And uh, that is what probably helped uh, translates into uh, policy making at uh, government level. So this could be at the heart of everything. And um, the other, th other thing is, because it's very hard sometimes to gauge um, um, the service which is provided by healthcare professionals overall, mm -hmm. it, and translate that into uh, um, into money, sometimes it's, it's very difficult. And there's a lot of ethics, a lot of um, cultural perceptions and uh, expectations from the medical professional that mm -hmm. um, can on occasions be the reason why they do not appreciate that these people really need to be paid well. So um, they would say, all right, your profession is very noble, you're doing a good job and we'll clap for you every Thursday or so, you know. But they may not be able to appreciate that all right, this, this needs to be translated into some, something tangible, some tangible outcomes. Um, so that has to do, I think, so, so the media can play a significant role in changing that perception. Um, and uh, people who, because these nurses, these doctors have, during the COVID times, we have seen uh, when no one was working, these people were working. Um, and all they got, like, was a weekly clap every week. Mm. And then even up till now, uh, they, they are grieved, so especially the nursing staff and the doctors as well, like everyone is, but this nursing staff especially, um, they're concerned, they're grieved, and uh, it seems probably that, that, that their contributions are not appreciated as they should be. Uh, can you mention a little bit more about the work they do, uh, you know, according to the pay they get, staff especially, and doctors as well? So, the, uh, so first of all, they've got long working hours. Hmm. Uh, the shifts are pretty long. So when, so if I start at nine, I the nurse would have already come by at seven a.m. in the morning, hmm. uh, winter, summer, whatever weather it is, they are there. And it's usually, in my experience, I've seen that they are they do like a twelve-hour, ten and twelve-hour shift. So hmm. seven in the morning till seven in the evening, and then they have to go back home and then come back again. Um, Although some of them, there are working patterns like they some, sometimes do uh, four days in a week uh, or five days in a week, uh, but still it's it's like a constant stretch. So the working hours are long. Number one, number two, um, the 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 jobs. Uh, so they've got, as I said, there are different types of nurses. So there are nurses who are purely based on the wards um, and um, based on seniority. The um, the workload increases on them. Um, apart from um, administering medications to the patients, they have a lot of paperwork to do um, and uh, observation, making sure the patient is stable, escalating the care to to the doctors, alerting them. Um, sometimes they have to chase the doctors, unfortunately, because they are busy elsewhere. So they, they have to make sure that the safety is, is maintained. Uh, they also have to supervise the HCA, the healthcare assistants. Mm -hmm. um, for the basic jobs of the patients, like uh, feeding them, sometimes they have to be fed, uh, taking them physically to the toilet, uh, washing them, cleaning them, even doing their toothbrushes and stuff. So, mm -hmm. uh, and we've got a um, we've got a significant population in the hospital which is elderly, which is above seventy years of age. So that's the chunk of patients we have in NHS, and it's going to increase every day <laughs> and every year. I would say. Um, so um, 
they, and then apart from that, they have to maintain their professional competence. They have to keep their uh, keep abreast with what's happening around and uh, maintain their knowledge. Um, so lots of administration, lots of physical work, and then there's a class of nurses who is um, um, the, well, as I said, called the specialist nurses. So if mm-hmm. there's a cardiology department, there's a specialist cardiology nurse. So she is like a junior doctor. So she um, will be specifically dealing with uh, cardiology patients in a specific aspect. They may be just making sure the appointments are in check. They will be looking at their blood tests, investigations. Uh, even they will be physically seeing the patients and giving consultations. And they are pretty good at that. So. Um, in the outpatient setting and also in the inpatient setting, uh, they get referrals as well. So the type they're, they're like doctors, uh, just that they can't prescribe medications, but otherwise everything um, <coughs> is, is similar. And they're more focused on one specialty. Um, and then as you go higher and higher, you've got like the administrative roles of the nurses, uh, which involves uh, making sure the standards are met, audit, quality improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of paperwork and uh, lots of work. <laughs> That's right. You know, I've seen myself in doctors, uh, you know, working long days and nights. Even though in other jobs you have to work uh, nine to five, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, it's hard sometimes to finish on time because hmm. you can't really finish. As I said, it's, there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of lot of ethical considerations in hmm. profession. So, for example, if you're if you're asked to be finished by seven p.m. and then while you're just about to go out of the ward your patient falls on the floor, you know. Mm. So you can't just leave that patient on the floor because your time is up, you know. Yeah. And um, so also there's expectation from the administration that you have to finish your work on time and then obviously you can't. And then... Uh, the you have to overtime, hand it over. You have to hand it over as well. <laughs> that takes time. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, that takes time. But like in terms of if you, if you spend extra hours sometimes there can be... A uh, bit of concern from the administration that uh, why was this overtime taken? So that's not fair. So uh, the dash dash shouldn't be questioned. It's, it's obvious. It's understandable that definitely they won't be able to finish on time. So whatever time they work extra, they should be paid for those hours. And Hassan, I obviously over over the years you must have experienced that. Do you think that there is, has been a reduction in the staff, and obviously that also uh, increases the stress on staff? Definitely. So if you look at NHS, if you look at uh, our hospital, we've got um, more than 50% of the nurses are foreign nurses, so they're from India or Philippines. Uh-huh. And and the number of, of local uh, British nurses is reducing. Um, like, there are places, there are, there are certain satellite units attached to the hospital which are purely run by foreign nurses you would hardly see any any local uh, British nurse. And that's the reason that they, it's, it's not appreciated, it's not um, it's not favourable in the long term. Uh, they don't feel um, respected, um, they don't feel appreciated, and um, they leave the work system. And then when the vacuum gets created, uh, people from like developing nations they're, they're, who are already desperate to get out of their countries uh, they find it very easy to fill those spaces, and, and it's the same with the doctors as well. So, so, so do you uh, think the quality uh, of work is compromised? Uh, where you're getting this staff who is not fully trained in this country, uh, as well as uh, what do you think about you know the what's the reason why the local British staff is is leaving? 
So I wouldn't, I, I haven't, in my experience, I haven't seen that the quality is compromised. Obviously, they sometimes take some time to get used to the system. But the nurses who are coming from the Philippines and South India, they're really good nurses. So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of quality of care, the professional standards, the, the Royal College of Nurses and the higher authorities, um, which uh, keep, um, make sure that the standards are met, they, they make sure that they get properly registered and stuff. There may be some um, issues with communication sometimes, but that, that improves over time anyways. Uh, but in terms of quality of work, in my experience, the, the, the standard of care is the same. Um, as far as the, the the reason why the local staff are leaving, so they, in my experience, I've seen, um, and like everyone has seen as well, if you remember in COVID, when Boris Johnson was admitted, um, uh, he was treated by two foreign nurses, one mm-hmm. from New Zealand and one from Portugal. And then uh, very soft, a few months, it was in the paper that the, the uh, nurse from the New Zealand left the Caribbean because the NHS was um, not the best place for her. Yeah. It was heavy work, extra work, underpaid, underappreciated, oh. stressful, a lot of accountability. So all these factors um, um, make um, make the profession in itself not really, really fruitful, especially in this country. And a lot of them would love to go work in Middle East, uh, Australia, New Zealand, the perfect hotspots for them to go. Canada even. Yeah, I think that's that's not not only happening with the nurses, it's the other staff as well, doctors also leaving for other countries, isn't it? Yeah, true. true. Uh, yeah. You know, one question uh, I'm having in my mind, uh, you know, peop- there are staff doing strikes. One thing, you know, for the people who are, they have a very long, uh, you know, unless they are accused, they are not getting appointments on time. Is there anybody who's speaking for them as well or not? Because I think there's nobody you know they should go to they can go to they tell them that we're not having uh, you know enough uh, of course they know everybody know but nobody's speaking about it isn't it on the high levels um so yeah um so in terms of the backlog of the patient is mm. that what you asked yeah that's right yeah so um so so the backlog for outpatients um i don't think so it would uh, get affected that mm. much because it's mostly the outpatient consultation is um, is usually done by the doctors. Obviously, there are the specialist nurses who are involved. Um, the other day, I was actually asking a nurse as to how would you, like, what would you do? Would you actually just leave the work and mm. let the patient suffer? And when they said that um, um, that would become a bit unethical for them, uh, so uh, it, it, it's a strike like for, for a day or so and that's, that's maximum that's what they do yeah, true. so uh, but in terms of backlog I think so um, um, it, because it's managed at, by the administration and um, the doctors usually see those so uh, as an outpatient probably it may not have that much of an effect hmm. unless the strike gets prolonged you know, as NHS is costing us uh, too much is it the time to privatise the health system at least that uh, we might get better pay for staff or not no 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 definitely not no no um like p- people won't be able to afford a uh, private health care yeah. at all like nhs is a big blessing for this uh, i country. think that is also unethical isn't it uh, <laughs> you know but uh, you know uh, i see in germany you know they, they have a system they have a privatized system but there are people who are cannot afford it they are getting free services if they are running yeah. in somehow why can't we run in this country well I don't think so because look at I see patients every day and, and mm. they literally they literally uh, some of them are not even ready to pay for the transport 
to and from the hospitals, and the hospital has to pay for the transport. So the care is going to suffer effectively, uh, enormously. Sorry, um, mm. and uh, NHS is like a really big blessing which people should be thankful for. Mm. And uh, what we need probably is just to revise mm. the way we spend our money, you know, and uh, cut down on, on on areas which really don't need. Like we don't need to spend millions on some some research study which has no consequence at the end. Mm. You know? That, that, that's right. That's right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Sayyid Hassan, uh, for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah. Have You're a nice evening, Zakumullah. Thank you. Zakumullah. Thank you for Please joining us. Yeah. So, should um, <laughs> should staff strike? That's the question. Yeah. yeah. So, strikes, even when held peacefully, they can cause damage to a mm-hmm. system, as we just spoke about it. There may be financial losses involved, however. It may also sometimes be necessary in order to bring attention towards a cause when all other means of addressing the issue have failed. So it's just, uh, uh, you know, circumstances. And uh, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, he states that it is a commandment of Islam for a Muslim to follow the law of the land where he is residing. If the government is doing injustices, one option is to leave that place and migrate. Alternatively, if your voice can reach um, authorities and the government representatives, then you should um, use it to speak out against any injustice or cruelty and to condemn it. Um, to do so is your responsibility. And to every government, to everyone who is unjust, we should strive to make them recognize that injustice can never flourish. As regards the rights of employees, it's vital to treat employees fairly and make sure that they feel valued as this encourages harmony and keeps morale high. As soon as any indication of unfair treatment comes to light, it can begin to cause rifts within the workplace and even results in a rise in staff turnover when people start to realize they could be getting a better, fairer deal elsewhere. And that is, you know, everywhere that happens that, you know, if you somebody finds that he can get a better deal, he's, he's, mo- he's going to move on, particularly if he's uh, stressed um, where he's working, that, that would be the, uh, you know, big uh, issue for him. In order to keep the system running smoothly, it is imperative that the staff is cared for and their demands addressed in an appropriate manner. So that is one principle. Um, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon his, has, has guided us in the following words. He says that who, whoever has a brother under his command should feed him out of what he eats and dress him out of what he wears. Do not ask them is talking about the slaves to do things beyond their capacity and if you do so then help them as well so it is a responsibility of the government to ensure that employees serving the nation should be paid in accordance with their needs fair pay is the right of any employee the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he um, states that God instructed the rulers in high in in his Sharia, that's the Holy Quran, that they must always act with equity and justice, strive constantly to uplift the nation's economic condition, protect the life and property of its citizens and not discriminate between individuals and nations and not adopt ways that would be detrimental to the development of the country and future generations. Instead, the rulers should always adopt such means and laws that are essential for the country's progress. 
So this is, uh, in principle, this is this is what uh, you know. The, the Islamic teaching is that you should you should keep a balance. If the the rights and the duties they have to be kept in balance. If you are, of course, uh, suffering, then you have to raise your voice um, uh, through the peaceful means and the uh, the legal means, whatever is is allowed by the government. Uh, one should do, and as is uh, is a principle, and and we have seen people doing that as well. That those who cannot uh, sort of survive in the circumstances, and they and they don't find that there is a solution to that. That they can they have an option of migration, and we see that a lot of NHS staff is is migrating, going to the other countries. Um, not only the the staff, the nursing staff, but also. Uh, all the um, uh, the higher uh, doctors and consultants we see that uh, and we we are uh, depending more now on the uh, staff coming over from the other countries to work in this country and because lots of uh, there are lots of uh, places which are um, left uh, vacant and and so that they have to be filled up by the other people so the mounting treatment block log, uh, backlog alongside uh, further COVID surges, flu and other pressures expected to hit hard this winter will mean that the damaging impact of the workforce crisis can only escalate. And His, uh, his Holiness, may Allah be his helper, Hazrat uh, Mirza Masroor Ahmad, our head of the community, he, said, he has stated that if we want peace in our time, then we must act with justice. We must value equality and fairness. As the Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so beautifully stated, we must love for others for what we love for ourselves. Obviously, you know, you, you can't um, love something for for yourself and a different thing for, mm. for others. So we must pursue the rights of others with the same zeal and determination that we pursue our, uh, our own rights. We should broaden our horizons and look at what is right for the world rather than what is only right for us. These are the means for peace in our age. Nurses, of course, uh, as we, uh, our guest, guest also, Dr. Hassan, said that uh, they are truly the pillars of the healthcare systems. Um, their selflessness, patience, and dedication to patient welfare is admirable. And we need to recognize as well as appreciate their hard work, not with mere words, but by paying them wages they deserve. Unless, you know, if, if you can't maintain, if, if you can't, uh, you know, if you, if you can't, you're getting benefit out of something mm. and you are not taking care of it, you are ultimately, you are going to lose that. And and that's the message. And uh, I, I think not only that it's the Islamic teaching, but it's uh, on the humanitarian g- grounds as well. Um, of course, uh, the whole country is suffering. There is economic crisis. Mm. And in, in this, we have to... Uh, we have to pay attention into it. Unless it is paid attention, we are going to lose uh, one of the uh, of the the best systems, uh, which is uh, being provided by the National Health Service. So, uh, so I think that uh, that's the message for today. Yeah, that's you know, what as we have discussed. A, as once again, as Doctor Hassan mentioned, that uh, you know, then it is a blessing, uh, but we need to cut down some places to uh, get it going. So we discussed the topic, uh, which is which was very vital to discuss, as uh, you know, this is very <coughs> uh, nowadays is important topic around us. So on this, we will leave uh, for 5 p.m. news, and uh, we will be back 
again and we will discuss uh, regarding the vaccines to jab or uh, not to jab so please <clears throat> join us after the news break You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon all the listeners. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us once again after the 5 pm news break. As we discussed in the first hour, we will be discussing uh, the one other another interesting topic on vaccines to jab or not to jab. You know, despite the revolutionary and living, changing effects the vaccination have had over hundreds of years. And uh, if you look in the history, we find that people have, uh, you know, uh, faced the circumstances. The pandemic was there, the different, you know, the diseases were there. And the vaccines were made and on different places in, on the earth. If we discuss maybe with chickenpox, smallpox, there's some other things uh, which, you know, uh, came into the world. And recently we've seen the pandemic, uh, which was, I think, biggest uh, disaster we have seen uh, within the uh, world that everybody, entire, you know, uh, surface of the of this world have faced the circumstances uh, through this uh, uh, COVID, uh, this pandemic. So today we will be discussing that the jab which was created for these, you know, pandemics, whether uh, one should uh, take it or not take it. And uh, for us, for us, Ahmadi, being an Ahmadi Muslims, uh, we, you know, we have uh, taken the vaccines as our Khalif, uh, the head of Ahmadi Muslim Association, may Allah be his helper, has instructed all the, uh, you know, community members. And we will discuss this further because this is something is ongoing. People have taken it. People will be taking it. They are, you know, the disease are, you know, they come uh, every year and people need uh, to jab. So let's, I will go to Dr. Uh, Tariq Saab as well to discuss further. What do you say whether about the vaccines? Well, the vaccine, uh, it has always been a, a controversy, but uh, mm. people know that it has benefited over the years in the history historically if you look at the um, mm-hmm. at the, at the vaccinations um, there the, the have been fears uh, that, that uh, um, resurfaced uh, through each generation facing a pandemic or whatever type it was perhaps first um, rearing in 18th century England where smallpox had devastated the country at that time you know people um, there, there were questions raised about the smallpox, how it was treated, how it was, uh, because uh, you know, without vaccination, we couldn't, you couldn't find a cure, and people mm. were suffering. And uh, as you know, that smallpox was uh, such a dis- disfiguring, particularly um, uh, condition in which uh, people affected for, for, you know, for throughout their life, mm-hmm. the rest of their life once you once they had it. Uh, at that time, inoculation against smallpox was actually commonplace in Palestine, China, and other North African tribes. Uh, whereas there was a the issue was raised in England at that time about 
the vaccination against uh, smallpox, whereas in the other countries it was being uh, used. Virus rich pustules, what they did was that, you know, the pustules, you know, where, where hmm. you have the, these pox, um, this is skin laying, which comes, um, it, it would be popped open and then uh, mm -hmm. a thorn was dipped into that discharge hmm. and that would be used to pierce the skin. Mm -hmm. So that was one way of, you know, introducing an infection to, to a person who is not suffering just to, to give them a protection. Um, or sometimes they would, uh, um, uh, smallpox scabs would be um, grounded up and a recipient would either inhale this or scratch it into their skin. Mm -hmm. So that was one way of introducing the virus to the to the person who was not exposed to it so that they can develop a, a, a resistance against its disease and does not come to them full-fledged. Uh, however, the technique, uh, this technique was, was deemed ritualistic because, you know, it's... Uh, um, uh, some people said it, it was ridiculous and, and they said uh, it's uh, ignorant. Uh, the Europeans at that time, they said that, until Edward Jenner. Edward Jenner was the first one who actually devised smallpox vaccine. Uh, it was based on cowpox. Mm. So cowpox, which is harmless, uh, considered to be harmless to, to people, he introduced that and he, he observed that the people who were uh, introduced to, small, uh, to cowpox, they would be prevented uh, to have uh, smallpox. So that, that's how uh, this uh, smallpox vaccine um, came and then obviously it became popular to that to the extent when it was used world over on the international mm -hmm. level to, uh, up to the eradication of uh, this uh, disease. So similarly, COVID-19 vaccines, when they have come, obviously there was a cause of concern, people are concerned that, and there was a heavy debate due to the milder nature of the virus, but also the speed at which these vaccines were developed. Hmm. Because um, it was, obviously it was the need of the time Mm. and people were dying and there was a desperate need to to to, to get something so that it, uh, people are helped because um, you know we, we saw that the the deaths were taking place so there was a race for finding the vaccine as soon as possible so um, so so that's uh, the, the the social media of course um, the it gave anti-vaxxers a, a platform to further spread the, their misinformation and cause public unrest and there was a lot of debate and mm -hmm. conspiracy theory as it is you know it goes on um, but we were as you mentioned that we were lucky enough that our head of the Ahmadi Muslim community Hazrat Mr. Masroor Ahmad uh, may Allah strengthen his hands he, he gave a statement regarding the COVID-19 uh, mm. vaccination and he said um, the, if it is proven that it is effective as a cure and if the government advises to get vaccinated, then you may take the vaccine. There is no harm in that, but we should also see if it even benefits the people mm. uh, who have taken the vaccine. Do not simply take the vaccine for the sake of taking it. Uh, if it is beneficial, then one should uh, most surely take the vaccine. So that was his instruction that gave us uh, clear guidance and many people, they benefited out of that guidance. True. Um, thank you. Now we're going to move to our first uh, guest. Uh, she's um, Asma Khalil. She's a professor of obstetrics and maternal fetal medicine at St. George's Hospital. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Zakallah for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, to begin with, uh, could you please highlight the importance of vaccinations to our viewers, to our listeners as well? 
Uh, well, vaccination in, mm-hmm. in general, um, they are a very powerful tool to help um, to help us, to help the you know humans mm. to fight infection or to fight the bugs or at least avoid death or severe illness that can be caused by these bugs. I mean, if you remember mm. the old days where you know, thousands of people died um, because of this. Uh, viruses or uh, you know a pandemic we've seen that in the early stage of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic when we have seen several people um, thousands of people um, dying before the vaccination or the COVID vaccines become available. Professor Khalil you have uh, done a considerable amount of research into the implications of COVID-19 on pregnant women. Uh, Was there a recurrent theme that you found concerning? Um, yes, yeah, so pregnant women um, are more vulnerable than non-pregnant individuals. They're more likely to experience severe illness if they get COVID and in, during pregnancy. They're more likely to be um, twice more likely to need admission to intensive care units or require ventilation. And it's not just the mother who are more likely to get severe illness, but also the baby. So we know that pregnant women who get COVID uh, during pregnancy, they have um, higher chance of having stillbirth. That means the death of the baby during pregnancy uh, or premature birth. And we know that prematurity increases the risk of disability. And therefore, certainly if you a pregnant woman gets COVID, uh, she's at higher risk of problems compared to a non-pregnant individual. Uh, right. So, in your in your experience, of course, I mean it's early days, but uh, um, do you think that they are affected, uh, or the, the way they have been affected is was worse than in comparison to the normal people who are being affected by COVID? Um, yes. So, the data from several studies, whether from the UK or from other countries, show clearly that pregnant women are more vulnerable and they're more likely to get severe illness. And you know, it's only in pregnant woman really that the virus can affect the two two individuals, mm-hmm. the mother and the baby, and can harm both. And the other the other thing that the, the unfortunate scenario that pregnant women were reluctant to get the COVID vaccine mm-hmm. because they were not included in the initial COVID vaccine trials, and therefore they we didn't have data on how safe this vaccines to give it to a pregnant woman right. um, and but of course as we have more data and we have more data on pregnant women who received the vaccine during pregnancy now we know that this vaccine is effective so it can protect the pregnant woman from the virus and mm-hmm. also safe so it does not cause harm to the pregnant woman or her baby and therefore that the advice and the guidance is clear now that the best way to protect the mother or the baby is to get COVID vaccination. Is, is it is it true for all types of vaccines, or is it a, because there was also a concern about the brand as well? That's a very good question mm-hmm. uh, because most of the data that we have are actually from uh, the what we call the mRNA vaccines, so that's like Pfizer or Moderna. Mm-hmm. We have we don't have uh, much data really from other types of vaccines. Um, for example, in the UK, that's why the current guidance is to give this type of vaccines to pregnant women. So in pregnancy or pregnant woman, she will get 
one of the mRNA vaccines because this is where we have most of the data on safety. All right. Uh, thank you for that. I think that will be very useful for our listeners uh, because there is a lot of concern regarding the pregnant women. Generally, also, you see that there has been a lot of public concern raised with regards to COVID-19 vaccines. Um, could you expand on that uh, as well, please? Um, yes, I agree with you that, that there has been public concern, and, and um, that's probably because of a combination of factors. So, first, as I mentioned, that the, that, that the pregnant one were not included in the initial COVID vaccine trial. So, we didn't really have data on how safe this vaccine um, to give to pregnant women. Certainly, the guidance has changed, and that could potentially would have caused confusion to people. So initially, they were not really the vaccine was not recommended to pregnant women, and then after that, they you know the guidance was yes, uh, give it if uh, the woman is vulnerable or she has medical problems like diabetes, for example, or hyperpressure. And then after that, the, yes, we should give the um, COVID vaccine to pregnant women the same age as a non-pregnant individual. And then now pregnant women are actually vulnerable group and therefore they are prioritized. So if you see the current guidance on the poster for COVID vaccines, mm-hmm. include older people, include people who have medical problems or healthcare professionals, so people who have high risk or high chance of getting COVID or severe COVID, and pregnant women are included in this priority group. Mm-hmm. So, so you can see actually the guidance has changed and that could have led to confusion. And then finally, a very important and unfortunately not helpful is the misinformation yeah. uh, on social media platforms of the fact that the vaccine causes miscarriage or the vaccine can cause um, problems in the baby's development, which is... Uh, not true and not supported by any evidence to the best of my knowledge but that unfortunately led to um, reluctance of pregnant women and fear among pregnant women to get the vaccine. You know there were some concerns about the um, what is it called G5 or something the telephone mobile and things like that Uh, you know to what extent was that obviously it it seems to be it was just a Another conspiracy theory coming from people. Um, so, uh, how much your research, you know, tackled with the concerns people had? Uh, well, we uh, during the, 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 the pandemic and until recently, we've been really working hard to get data um, to uh, find out and. Uh, whether COVID, what the effect, what the impact, what the effect of the virus or the infection on the pregnant woman and her mm-hmm. baby, what's the impact of the pandemic itself, not just the virus, not just mm-hmm. the infection, the changes that happened during the pandemic, the way we delivered the service and look after pregnant women and their babies, what was the impact, and also about on the vaccines, whether the views of pregnant women uh, to get the vaccine, the uptick. Of, um, of pregnant of the vaccine by the uptake woman by, by by pregnant woman, and also the safety and how effective it is. And we published a, a really I think important study where we looked at the data that's available, and uh, that was published in a, in a journal called Nature Communication. It's one of the top journals, and we found that the vaccine was effective. So it's nearly ninety percent effective, similar to a non-pregnant individual. We also found that it's safe. 
So yeah. does not increase risk of miscarriage, does not increase risk of premature birth, does not cause harm to the baby. And and interestingly, we found that actually women who had the COVID vaccines in pregnancy, they were 15% lower chance of stillbirth, that's the death of the baby during pregnancy, compared to women who did not get the COVID vaccine. That was surprising. We yeah. did not expect to see that. Mm-hmm. But it's interestingly because we know that the COVID-19 increased the chance of stillbirth. Now we saw that actually the woman who got the vaccine had lower chance or, or risk of having a stillbirth in pregnancy. Okay, that was great. So what, what were the clinical implications of your findings? Well, the clinical implications, I think, is very clear that according to the evidence and that we have at the moment, the best way to protect the pregnant woman and her baby is to get the COVID vaccination, to protect her from getting severe COVID that could potentially um, make her sick um, and or cause uh, or lead to stillbirth or increase the chance of premature birth. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, so just just uh, you know uh, to know about your personal experience, you know during you you must have been working during this at <coughs> the peak of this COVID nineteen and when people were suffering and they were giving birth at that time and so those who were suffering from COVID, um, they were giving birth as well. How was your experience during that period? I think women were scared. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, of um, of the fact that if they get the infection, I mean, we will, you know, whether they, the, 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 the risk of people dying uh, from the from the infection or being, you know, admitted to intensive care unit or being ventilated. Um, also, the initial um, phase of the pandemic where um, the partners were not allowed to be in the hospital, so women. Mm-hmm really have to give birth on their own and that really had negative impact on their experience women were really um, scared and also not very reluctant to come to the hospital you know the initial when they had the first um, wave and we had a lockdown and advice was to avoid uh, coming to the hospital unless you have to so we saw that women were not coming when the baby was not moving, for example, or this late presentation. And that, you know, certainly could have led to harm, whether to the pregnant woman or her baby. So so certainly I think that was, you know, I would say fear, uncertainty, um, just wants to go home, want to avoid the hospital. Um, and, you know, that has obviously a negative impact on, on everyone. Um, as we managed to... Um, overcome some of these uncertainties and the vaccination be- has, you know, became available and the fact that we are more, you know, more protected and they're less likely to have uh, come across people with severe illness or dying from COVID um, and actually also our ability to treat a pregnant woman uh, has become better, things have changed and, and certainly now almost is back to normal. Oh, that's great. Um, so, uh, what what would be your message generally for our listeners? I think my message is clear. Mm-hmm. The best way to protect a pregnant woman or her baby from COVID is to get the vaccination. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure t- uh, talking to you, and I uh, hope our listeners have greatly benefited out of this talk. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. 
and have thank a good you for having evening. me thank you take care so that was uh, our guest, Professor Asma Khalil, uh, who is a professor of Ops and Maternal Fetal Medicine at St. George's Hospital. And she has given a very clear advice, actually, that uh, there's a lot of benefit associated with, and there is no cause for concern for the pregnant uh, ladies to get vaccinated. And uh, it would be beneficial and helpful for them. So um, we are talking about uh, about the, the the vaccinations in general. Um, that you know um, that you know as people are more educated about uh, the mechanism, how the vaccines work, and uh, of, and that there are lots of uh, research takes place before it comes to market. But, mm. but with this COVID nineteen, of course, there was uh, because it was so rapidly developed, and there was not enough uh, data of whether people are having any side effects mm. with it or not. And as you just heard uh, from Professor Asma Khalil that we, uh, you know, the, the pregnant ladies uh, with, with their experience and they've gone through the, the, uh, the research they have done and um, they, they have come to the conclusion that there was uh, no additional risk and, and they, could, they could take it, uh, uh, you know, without any, any fear. And, and it is more likely to, to help them rather than uh, having any, any cause of concern. Um, you know, as the when COVID nineteen um, came, everybody was scared. Everybody was kind of hopeless. People were dying uh, in, in the entire world. But one thing we see <coughs> in the sayings of our Prophet of Islam, uh, Muhammad peace be upon him, he said, "There is no disease that God Almighty has created except that He also has created its treatment." So. You know, that's why it is very vital, it's very important that uh, when the remedy is there, when, you know, the vaccine has been created, has been, uh, you know, uh, gone through, you know, several stages, that yes, uh, human can take this and it, uh, it it's good for the health, then people should and must take it as, you know, our Khalifa has mentioned. If we, <coughs> uh, you know, discussed... Uh, uh, this topic, the vaccination, how they are used. You know, vaccination use your body's natural defense system to help you build resistance to a certain infection through making your immune system stronger. Especially, vaccines are made up of uh, of dead and weakened versions of a virus or bacteria, which, when injected, help your immune system to create antibodies. And your body now remembers that this disease, and has the antibodies saved and ready to attack for when you are naturally exposed to the disease at a more important level, which is which means that your immense system, uh, immune system will be able to quickly destroy this before you get ill. Now, <clears throat> we will speak with Dr. Shamiz Ladani. He's a pediatric infectious diseases consultant who has been working on COVID and COVID vaccines since the start of the pandemic. His research work involves maternal vaccination and in particular his team has been monitoring the use of COVID-19 vaccines in pregnancy. He is also responsible for a number of other immunization programs in the UK. So I welcome uh, Dr. Shemiz, uh, Professor Shemiz Lalani. Peace be upon you and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, could you please tell our viewers of your research into the 
efficacy of COVID-19 vaccine against both mild and severe cases? Well, um, we've been involved with um, COVID vaccines since the beginning. I work at a national center where we monitor uh, the disease and the vaccines that are being used in uh, different risk groups, including pregnant women, the elderly, and so on. And because you work at a national level, you have a lot of data uh, that helps you understand what's happening with the disease, with the different strains that are circulating, and how these vaccines work against them. And um, I think that we will all agree that the pandemic came to us very, very suddenly, and we didn't have any vaccines against this particular bug, the coronavirus. And so the research into the COVID vaccines had to be done very, very fast. And using technology that wasn't very uh, well known at the time, especially the mRNA vaccines. And uh, the time it took for them to do all the research to show that the vaccine protects against severe COVID and death was much shorter than it would have taken for other vaccines because it was a pandemic. But when the vaccine did get licensed at the end of um, 2020, the UK was the first country to implement this vaccine in the national program. And immediately we saw a huge reduction in COVID cases and death due to COVID uh, in those who were vaccinated compared to those who were not vaccinated. And we were very optimistic that these vaccines will help us control the pandemic. And over time, we did notice that the more people that took the vaccines, the less sick people that we had, the less hospitalizations we had. And um, the fewer people were dying of COVID. But I think with the Omicron variant, everything changed because we learned very quickly that the Omicron variant is able to evade immunity uh, uh, from past infection and from vaccines. So when you ask me uh, how does COVID vaccine help protect against severe and mild COVID, where we are now, what we know is that these vaccines do incredibly well to stop us getting very sick and be hospitalized with severe COVID. But uh, they are not very good at protecting against uh, infections, so mild cough and fever and runny nose and typical respiratory infection. So even if you are vaccinated, you can still catch COVID. But if you are vaccinated, your chances of becoming very sick with COVID or being hospitalized with COVID is very, very low. So uh, vaccines still play a very, very important part in trying to protect us from getting very sick from this virus. Uh, true. You know, from your research into the safety and efficacy of the vaccines in pregnant women, what would you say were the implications of, uh, you know, vaccine hesitancy and uh, uh, in uh, anti-vaccine disinformation for pregnant women? So uh, pregnancy has always been a, a, a very difficult time and, and pregnant can usually find it very difficult to decide whether to get vaccines in pregnancy because they're worried for themselves and then unborn babies. And even in the past, the other maternal vaccines we have, it's always been difficult uh, to reassure pregnant women these vaccines are safe uh, for themselves and their babies. I think what really changed is that when we had the swine flu pandemic, uh, we saw very clearly that if you vaccinate pregnant women against swine flu, then it protected them against severe flu and their babies against severe flu. And then in 2013, we brought in another vaccine for pregnant women, which helped protect them and their babies against whooping cough 
or pertussis. And that program was very successful because it stopped baby babies dying from whooping cough. So before the pandemic, we were in a good place where most pregnant women would have a vaccine because they believed in the vaccine uh, and they knew that it helps protect them and the babies. When the COVID vaccines came in, initially there were worries about using it in pregnant women because it had never been used before in this group. And there were rightly concerns that, you know, should it, would it be safe to get, give pregnant women the new COVID vaccines and all. The recommendations were to give it to pregnant women because we know that pregnant women got very sick with severe COVID and many of them lost their babies um, as a result of um, the COVID. So the vaccine that came in actually uh, ended up saving a lot of lives. What we now know is that these COVID vaccines have been critical in protecting pregnant women. They've been given to millions of pregnant women and have been very, very safe. They have been found to have no side effects compared to non-pregnant women. In fact, pregnant women make the same amount of immune response as non-pregnant women when they are vaccinated, and they don't get any any bad outcomes either for themselves or for their babies. And we've been able to monitor that for almost two years now. There are very big advantages of pregnant women having the vaccine because what we know is that vaccinated pregnant women rarely get severe COVID. They are much less likely to end up in hospital and they are much less likely to lose their baby uh, or give premature birth if they are vaccinated compared to unvaccinated uh, women. Our own analysis that we did showed that actually there is a 15% lower risk of stillbirth in pregnant women who are vaccinated against COVID compared to unvaccinated pregnant women. And on top of it all, pregnant uh, women will help protect their babies against COVID because their antibodies will pass on to their babies. Their babies are much less likely to get severe COVID or be hospitalized with COVID as well. Mm -hmm. So you have also previously been involved in research for meningitis. Could you please explain to our viewers the dangers of uh, meningitis and uh, whether the vaccination programs for children have had an effect on the incidence rate of the disease? So meningitis is another very serious bacterial infection. Meningitis refers to an mm. infection of the lining of the brain and mm -hmm. uh, it can cause very serious long-term outcomes because they can damage brains, it can cause epilepsy, blindness, deafness and so on. Uh, meningitis can be caused by many different bacteria but the one that we are more, most concerned about is meningococcal disease which can cause meningitis which is an infection in the brain but also septicemia, which is blood poisoning, where you get this typical rash on your skin that doesn't go away when you press a glass on it. And both these conditions can be fatal very, very quickly. The good news is the UK has one of the most comprehensive vaccine programs against meningococcal disease. Mm. We use uh, vaccines for young infants, babies, uh, to protect them when they're most at risk. And we also have another vaccine for teenagers to help protect them and the teenage program, which is the meningococcal ACWY vaccine, uh, has been critical in controlling a, a national outbreak that we had 10 years ago, which was caused by meningococcal group W disease, which was causing a lot of fatalities in, in young, healthy people. And the incredible effectiveness of this vaccine in teenagers is that by vaccinating teenagers, 
you stop them carrying the bacteria as well so they can't pass it on to others. And not only did they end up protecting themselves by being vaccinated, but they help protect all the other people around them, younger and older people against meningitis. So we cases due to this rare strain of W disease is now really uncommon because of all the teenagers who've been vaccinated against this disease. True. Uh, finally, can you please highlight the importance of vaccinations to our viewers? Vaccines have always the been one of the most. True. Well, vaccines have been one, always been one of the most important ways of preventing people from getting infection, uh, and uh, we have relied a lot on vaccination to help protect everybody because what we don't want is them to get sick in the first place, so then we don't have to deal with them and ending up in hospital or requiring treatment. The programs that we have now have been going on for many, many years and many of these diseases we don't see anymore because uh, everybody is vaccinated. The pandemic has created a little bit of a problem because we uh, haven't been able to achieve as much of a high vaccine uptake, which means that we're seeing a lot of diseases that we would otherwise never see again. So especially now more than any other time, it is really important that everybody who is due their vaccination should get the vaccine, not only to protect themselves, but also those around them uh, who may be vulnerable to these infections. And if we all get vaccinated like we're supposed to, then we can have better control of these diseases uh, nationally. Um, uh, just one thing that... Uh are you obviously you are at the at the heart of the center of the you know the, where the research is taking place about the the covid is there any other like um, chances of getting another variant coming um you know in the near future that's a very good question uh it the answer is we don't know there are many many variants that are out there at the moment uh -huh. uh, but everything that we know about this variant is if you've been vaccinated and especially if you have hybrid immunity, which is you get vaccinated and then you still get COVID, you, every time you get COVID, you layer your immunity even further so you get even better protection. Uh, what everything that we know so far suggests is that these new variants are not likely to be uh, severe or cause as much illness as the previous variants or at the start of the pandemic because we now have multiple layers of immunity from vaccination and past infection. So the chances are that there will be new variants, but the chances that these variants will cause severe COVID is much less than before because we have, uh, most of us have some immunity against COVID. We have been vaccinated two or three times and we can rapidly develop new vaccines if there are new variants. But inshallah, there shouldn't be any more severe variants coming through. Inshallah, that's, uh, uh, let's, let's hope that. And thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And I, I hope our listeners have benefited out of your talk as well. And uh, they are all keen to, to get, the, get themselves vaccinated. Uh, uh, thank you very much once again. Thank you. So that was uh, Professor Shamis Ladani, uh, who is a pediatric infectious diseases consultant, and uh, he has been working uh, on COVID and COVID vaccines, and he has uh, shared his information regarding the vaccine, the way they have worked, and how successful it has been, and uh, he has reassured that it wouldn't, won't be very, uh, won't be harmful for the pregnant ladies, and they can, um, they can, uh, without any fear, 
take the vaccine and it's going to prevent uh, that. And the good news is that they are still working on, on, on it, on the, the various variants. And the variants, at least uh, the vaccine gives you um, assurance that uh, even if you, you, you do get um, the COVID and it turns out to be positive, you are not going to get that uh, sort of a fatal disease or, or uh, you even if you get it, it will be a milder disease. So that's the good news uh, for today. So we were uh, talking about the, the, the vaccines. Uh, how how do they work? I mean, the the, the vaccines, uh, of course, uh, they you know you you are introducing to your mm-hmm. body uh, a, a very small uh, sort of uh, uh, small dosage of of that uh, bacteria or virus, and it is is not virulent virulent means that it is not going to cause a disease to you mm. because it's usually a part of that uh, you know either a a protein part so that it can induce a reaction in in our immune system to 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 provide us with a resistance to to the same type of infection so it's developing uh, uh, basically um, uh, uh, stimulating the immune system to create antibodies so that when when that particular uh, virus or bacteria enters the body you you can your your body can defend yourself against the uh, the disease uh, and if not disease as a whole then at least the severity will be not that uh, to to that extent, and it won't be uh, proof fatal. So it is it is for for our benefit. So we should uh, use it wherever, particularly when I, when I, it has been proved that it is it is causes uh, less harm or no harm, and and it is more beneficial. Then of course we should we should go for it. So uh, most of the fears uh, you have listened to um, our two two of our guests, uh, both professors who are reassuring us that COVID-19 vaccine has now been proven um, to be successful and it is causing uh, much less uh, harms or side effects. So uh, we'll be we'll be going next to uh, another of our guests. She is uh, Dr. Lucia. Anthony Pillai. She's a GP uh, working in Southeast London she's, uh, for over five years and uh, she has practiced medicine over 10 years. So we'll be talking to her uh, about uh, that the topic we're discussing, that is the, the vaccines. Um, so we welcome her um, and thank you for coming on our show. Uh, Lucia, peace be on you uh, and welcome to our show. Hello, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Okay, Dr. Lucia, uh, what are the differences and similarities between COVID and flu? Uh, and and uh, if you can add that, whether those two vaccines can be taken together? Of course. Um, so with regard to having um, COVID and or the flu or any other kind of respiratory infections, they're actually all very similar. Um, it can be very difficult to tell the difference between a COVID-19 or a flu or any other respiratory infection. Most people who do um, get these in- these infections will usually have a relatively mild illness, um, especially if you've been vaccinated, then you're less likely to be severely unwell with um, these illnesses. Um, with regard to symptoms that you'd get with any of these illnesses, they could include having a continuous cough, um, high fevers, temperatures or chills. 
You may notice a loss or change in your normal sense of taste or smell. It's important that when you when you do get any of these illnesses, that you get plenty of rest and drink water and keep hydrated. Um, you can use paracetamol to help you feel better and ease the symptoms. So, as you can see, they're all very similar. With regard to the vaccines for both the COVID and and the flu, you can have them both um, done at the same time. Um, I myself, and it was it was good to just get it out of the way. Uh, so it, it doesn't matter. But sometimes you may not have that opportunity where you can have both uh, done at the same time. So it's important that whichever one you can get, get them as soon as you can, whether it's one first and the other one another day or both together. Okay, that's great. So uh, what, what are the common side effects if you, you, you are vaccinated? Of course. So the side effects um, shouldn't last uh, longer than a week. Um, not to say that it will last a week, so sometimes it may be a day or even less than a day. Symptoms could include a sore arm from the injection. Uh, often you may feel a bit tired, may have a headache, feel achy, may not feel well. Um, sometimes you can get fevers, um, but this is usually up to about one or two days after the vaccine. For these symptoms, simply just taking paracetamol um, should suffice. Um, if obviously your symptoms ever do get worse, worse or you're worried, then it's important to speak to your GP or you can call 111 for advice. That's great. So, um, so, <laughs> so um, I, I, I asked this question. Uh, yeah, the, the flu and COVID vaccine, can, be, can they be taken together? Yes. So it, it can be taken together. Um, I think the biggest, biggest thing that I just want to um, say is that if you have an opportunity to have any of the vaccines done, get it done sooner rather than later that that way you're protected sooner so if, if you get the opportunity to have them both done at the same time do it if you can only have one and then have the other one another time then that's fine as well it's important to get it done um the flu and the covid19 vaccine they're free um for uh for those who are age 50 and over so if you get letters you know call them or speak to your GP or speak to your local pharmacy and have it done um, a large number of population can have it including those with kind of long term illnesses um, if you're pregnant if you're a carer or if you live with someone who has a, a weakened immune system uh, so for example if you have somebody who's been in your family that's being treated for cancer and you're living together and, and they're on medications which have um, weakened their immune system then it's really important to protect yourself so that you can protect your loved one um, if you work in health or social care uh, then it's also important to, ha to have the vaccination so you can protect yourself um, with regards to the flu vaccine children that are two years or, or older um, can have this done um, if they're at school, then you're usually offered it at school. If you've not heard, then please speak to your speak to your school. Um, and those that are six months old and above who have any pre-existing conditions are eligible for the flu vaccine as well. So as you can see, we've got a large cohort of people that are eligible for it. And so, you know, if you're if you're one of them, please go to your local farm if you'll see your local GP to get to get the vaccine done. So even from the pharmacy, you can get it free of charge. Yes, so if you're eligible, so if you fall into those categories um, that I mentioned, then yes, the pharmacy can give you those um, vaccines for free and, and, and then they'll speak to NHS England about it. So you don't need to worry about any of that. But it's important that if you can have it done, 
get it done at your local pharmacy. So some pharmacies may not um, do it. If they don't, ask them and they will know where they do. Or you could even um, Google it on the internet um, and, and you can find it on there. So if you Google uh, COVID uh, vaccine, then it will come up with a link there. But with regards to the flu, you can say Google find a flu pharmacy and from there on you'll be able to then find your local pharmacy that is able to provide you with the flu vaccine. If you're eligible for it, they'll provide it for free for you. Uh, that's, that's great. I think that would be very beneficial for our, our uh, listeners. Um, now, coming on to a, a different uh, vaccine now is about polio. You know, the polio is again in news. Why is that? Yeah. So, polio, um, for those of you that don't know, polio is a virus that um, can attack, can affect our nervous system. And here in the UK, we're absolutely, you know, we did a brilliant job of eradicating it with our last wild polio case in 1984. The reason it's now in the news is not because we have diagnosed it with anyone with polio in the UK. We still haven't had any cases. Um, but the reason is because they have noted um, earlier this year in February uh, traces of the type 2 polio virus in the sewage samples in North and East London. Mm -hmm. So that's quite can be quite worrying, um, and but the good news is is that it's been picked up early. We the the reason it's been noted is we they often regularly um, check sewage samples and basically have seen that the level of polio virus found in there is high much high, higher than they expected it between February and May, and so this has gone on to suggest that to protect ourselves that we um, ensure that everybody's up to date with their vaccine. So this is children and adults, make sure that you're up to date with your vaccine because if you're up to date, then you are protected um, from getting polio. Um, we're also just to kind of reinforce it and just to make sure we're extra protected is um, children between the ages of one and nine have been asked to have a booster dose of their um polio vaccine just to ensure that everybody is protected yeah that, that's good how does uh, how, how does this spread is it is it oral route or is it a respiratory route uh, you know, how is one affected with polio so absolutely it's a good question so polio the way it can spread is just by contamination which is why there is a concern because they've noticed it in the sewage the reason it's become come in the sewage to to begin with is because um, the, the variant that they've noted it's related to the oral um, um, that's polio vaccine that is often given in other countries and when somebody then comes to the UK or returns to the UK after having that the oral vaccine they may get strained in the in their poo sample and, and so it is. It, so you may notice in in the sewage, but because there is a higher number now in the sewage, in the sewage, it suggests that it's being transmitted, which is why we are um, we're really pushing the importance of ensuring that you're you're vaccinated. With regards to um, the uh, polio uh, infection, the way it spreads is is by contamination. So it's really, really, really important that we're constantly, you know, we make sure we wash our hands so that we are protected because if it goes on our hands and then we put it in our mouth, then, then we are then going to be at risk of getting um, polio. 
Okay, that's uh, very useful. Uh, so, what are the side effects uh, if you know if you get the vaccine? Of course. So the the side effects with the vaccine, so you can get maybe a local irritation at where the site of the injection is. Sometimes you may get get a lump, which which will go go go. Um, sometimes they may feel a bit unwell for a few days, um, and even have a fever. But then that should subside and can be treated with um, paracetamol in young children with cowpole. Okay, that's uh, that's great. Uh, just just out of interest, you know, uh, how much is it, you know, uh, on an international level? So if you, if you look at, is is it, is there a lot of cases still around the world? With regards to polio, yeah. I think I think we are doing. I can't speak for the world. But the UK, we've you've done we've done brilliantly, and in Europe, yeah. um, and so, some countries are not so well vaccinated, and so and so there is a higher risk in those countries. Um, so this this includes, I think, in Pakistan, um, and so here in the UK, because you're we're all vaccinated, when we travel abroad, you know, we're protected. We're less likely to get it, and then we're less likely to pass it on to our family, which is why we're pushing for this vaccination in, in here in England. Right. So, if somebody is uh, an adult and has has come um, to live here, uh, yeah. uh, is not sure whether he had a polio vaccine, uh, and he has to travel back to his home country, what would be your advice? So are they? Sorry, did you say they come to visit here? And no, then, they 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 come to live here. They are living here, yeah. but they're not sure whether they had a, a polio vaccine. Oh, so if they if they've come here to um, live in the UK, so anybody who does that, you would be registering at your local GP practice, and when you then see your GP or the nurse, they would go through the um, immunisation and see what they can figure out that they've had. So that things which they're not sure about, then um, the nurse has guidance to use to help advise whether it's advisable to have a vaccine or not. Um, it may be the polio vaccine or any other vaccine, so that it's done safely. Okay, that's great. So it's important, uh, <laughs> so it's important to see your GP when you register. Yeah. And then he's asking these questions yeah, so, so that you protected. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's that's great, uh, Dr. Lucia. Thank you very much. Uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you, and very, very, uh, I think, uh, informative and beneficial uh, for everyone to listen to that. Uh, thank you for joining us again, and thank have a you nice evening. Thank you. Thank you. So that, uh, yeah, that was uh, Dr. Lucia who was uh, uh, speaking to us. Uh, she's a GP in Southeast London. And uh, uh, as uh, uh, you have heard her, that she has given a, a lot of knowledge regarding the, the vaccines, how important it is. And she spoke both about the COVID as well as flu and also gave the information regarding polio so these are the, the vaccines we that, that's the topic we were talking to, uh, about today these are something which is beneficial for us and and it has been it has proved that it is is going to be beneficial if you should get vaccine rather than if you are not having it particularly if it has been proved that it is 
um, useful for us. So we have spoken today about vaccination and also in the first hour we, we spoke about uh, the NHS uh, strike which is uh, taking place and uh, our producers today were uh, Hania Javed and Sayeda Tahadiya Hassan, they uh, were the ones who prepared uh, the program for us uh, and uh, a very interesting, very informative uh, program. Uh, of course, we have the support from our technical uh, team is uh, uh, Aqib who is uh, supporting us there and uh, at least i have i have benefited out of that so i have i'm, I'm sure that uh, everyone has benefited about uh, the vaccines as well as uh, of course you you must have your opinion and and you know what you think about nhs i hope that it survives and uh, uh, with the uh, uh, you know, all the best wishes from us. I, I hope that you will join us uh, again. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you. Peace be upon you.